And it's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I can follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out... What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Clemson 45-10. to Robbie, why don't you give us a cheers and pick us up a little bit? So basketball is great right now. So uh, Virginia Tech basketball continues to roll, and we're a ranked team. We have a big game tonight uh, that I think we're hoping to get done with this and, and hope, you know, Virginia Tech pulls out a big win against Penn State in, uh, what is it, the Big Ten Challenge? What do they call I don't know the actual ACC name. Big, Ten, Big Ten, Challenge. Ten Challenge. Yeah, they're, they're going through with it, and there's a handful of good games tonight. In fact, UNC's playing right now. Ohio State's playing Notre Dame. BC Minnesota's on right now. Miami already won today. So, yeah, the action's going today and tomorrow, and a lot of good games. Yeah, and also cheers to uh, – I'm, I'm a bit of a video game nerd, so uh, we're on – my fourth week of trying about five to 10, sometimes upwards of 15 times a day to get a Xbox Series X uh, online. <laughs> it sells out within usually about one minute. So uh, 15 times a day for about four weeks, and I still haven't been able to get one. So as Damn. always, the, the video, video game producers, both the, the PS and Xbox, are making it impossible to get for Christmas on purpose just to build up the, the demand and the hype. That's right. Well, cheers to the basketball team. Cheers to those of you who were able to obtain one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Penn State at 9 tonight. By the time you hear this, the game will be over. But let's talk about that VMI game real quick since since we're already on the topic. We hung on against VMI, and that's the best way to put it, and we're able to move up to number 15 in the AP poll. But in that game... We shot terribly. Probably the worst shooting game of the Mike Young era. Just 35% overall and 4 of 27 from 3. That's 14.8%. Naheem Aline was 0 of 7 himself. And that's a a little bit unusual. Aluma led the way with 17 points and 12 rebounds. And Mutz, 10, 9, and 6 assists for him. Uh, I didn't know he could pass like that as a big man. Yeah, and uh, I think... They said it a few times on there. I wasn't as aware. I'm not as tied in, but I guess Dan Earl, the coach for VMI um, and Mike Young have a bit of obviously history between them, a lot of respect between them, obviously know what they're both trying to do in that game. And VMI came out and they played a really solid game plan. I thought the way the way that they were doubling people down in the paint, they knew what we were trying to do the way that we've been trying to change things up, forcing things outside, but uh, we held on and it, it was actually, I went back and watched it after I already knew the result. It was a lot closer with five minutes left or even like two and a half <laughs> yeah. minutes left than I expected. I thought we started to run away with it. Nope. It was, it, it came down to the wire a little bit. It started to feel like we were going to lose that game <clears throat> and we were 21 point favorites going in. So that would have been a big loss, but those are the kind of games you got to hold on and win. And I think going into Penn state, it's kind of a blessing just because the guys should be focused and Mike Young can get on them a bit for the mistakes they made, and you would hope that terrible shooting performance wouldn't be two games in a row. So tonight we're five-point favorites against Penn State. They've beaten us before in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I believe, and even games outside the challenge, because I think there's been years when we play them in addition to the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But we've beaten them and we've lost to them, so it's not going to be an easy game. A lot of veterans on that Penn State team, and they were pretty good last year, so we'll see what happens there. Let's move to the football, and I want to talk briefly about Coastal beating BYU. That was a really fun game, probably the 
the best game of the weekend. Uh, the ACC championship game is set now that Notre Dame and Clemson are done playing their regular season games. You also have the SEC title game set and the Big 12 title game set. Yeah, and I think the, I don't know if it's the Big 10 now set since I know the Michigan-Ohio State game is not going to happen, but I think they're waiving the uh, requirement for the six games. I think that I heard that today. Yeah. Oh, geez, yeah. So And, and they should do, they got to do something because it's it's terrible what's going on in the Big 10 right now. To have what they call the game canceled, I'm sure your wife is devastated because obviously Ohio State was probably going to dominate again. Oh. Uh, but it's just one less data point for them to go to the playoff and they only have the five wins, but they're still in that fourth position right now, according to the committee. Right. Right. So, um, a lot has happened, but I can't say enough about that coastal and BYU setup. three days notice traveling across the country. I can't imagine being the drivers for that thing and bringing the truck all the way over. Um, from bringing I don't know in. how they got it done, but they did. And it was a really fun game and BYU went in 10 and a half point favorites. I thought Coastal would cover just because they were the home team in that situation. And coming West Coast to East Coast, that's always tough for the NFL teams, let alone a college team. So uh, I thought they'd cover, and I I thought they might win, but they proved to be a really stiff challenge for Zach Wilson, and they kind of beat him up all night. Yeah, he got got pretty dominated in that game. They changed – they flipped the script on what BYU's been doing this season, and they played some big boy football against a really tough team. And uh, hats For off sure. to half off to the uh, Chanticleers. For sure, Shane Beamer hired by South Carolina. It's official. He is the head coach of the Gamecocks. We talked about Shane at the end of the last podcast. I, I gave my thoughts for the most part about just it could be best for him to go there. What was your reaction to him getting hired? I said it was probably about three. When when did the South Carolina open? I think it was about three weeks ago. And on message Something boards, like people were posting about you know who could go there. And only about ten posts in, somebody said Shane Beamer, and my only response was that is very interesting for USC. Obviously, he coached there. The players loved him there, and you know that's a place that I think he could do pretty well. He's gotten a lot of. Uh, hate nationally on on the pick just in terms of who they're coming off of and 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 their prior coach and you know most people thought that they should have had a shoe in but I, I think he's going to be able to recruit really well there and if he brings in the right assistance I think he's going to be able to do well so I I couldn't be happier for him I think it's a great the videos of him showing up and kind of walking through the stadium yeah. are just very iconic and and you know he's a he's a son of the program so it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think the the national review of it has been like either the media members that were for him just absolutely love it, thinks he deserves it, and he'll do really well. And then there's the guys that are just like, what has he really done? He's never been a coordinator. He's never been a head coach. Uh, yeah, he's he's been a coach at good programs, but what has he really done? And so it is a little mixed. Uh, depending on where you go, you'll hear different things. I said before, I think he'll do well, but it is a tough job. You're in the SEC, and you have a built-in game across the state against Clemson every year to add to it. And so you got a national champion in the state. you got to play Florida every year, Georgia every year, and then a crossover against the SEC West, maybe two of those. It's brutal. Like, it's really brutal. So it'll be really interesting to see if he, over the next four or five years, can stay 500 in sec play because i honestly think if he could stay 500 in sec games that's a good mark um and maybe in year five year four he goes five and three yeah i I think it's it's worth people taking a broader perspective on it first he has done well recruiting and i know he's it's easy to recruit with lincoln riley as your coach (laughs) and it's easy to but the fact is, is that in the state that he's in, so many people talk, and Georgia is what the fourth most fruitful recruiting ground. So many people came out and said, you know, Georgia Tech is this sleeping giant. If they could just pick up the people that UGA doesn't get, well, if US, you know, USC East can pick up the players that Clemson doesn't get, they're going to do pretty well. They're they're not going to be great, but they're going to have um, you know a pretty deep roster. So I think I think really the key is going to be what he does on the recruiting trail early and that'll really set the tone for what's possible for him to stay around that 500 like you said 
Yeah, the recruits are there. I mean, Georgia, I think, has the most D1 players of any state in the union. And so there's going to be guys that can't go to UGA or Clemson or Bama or whatever else. And then South Carolina's got a lot of talent. You go down to Florida. I mean, he'll have opportunities if he has the right staff. And because as the head coach, yeah, you got to recruit. But a place like South Carolina and the SEC money and the assistance he can afford to pay, he might not even have to do that much recruiting. As long as he doesn't go north of uh, North Carolina. That's all I'm worried about. <laughs> That's right. Stay, stay he out. can't have any of the Jersey boys that we get, right? <laughs> no. Well, I was more worried just uh, the Hampton Roads area. Just stay away for from sure. Virginia. So uh, that's yeah. that's our ground. He should he should have a little respect for us. All right. The player update for this weekend. We didn't have Belmar. We didn't have Waller. We didn't have Nestor. We also didn't have Trey Turner. He was on the sidelines. It, I thought I saw him dressed, but he didn't play. And then no idea if Hendon or Braxton Burmeister are going to play this weekend. I assume that they will. They were both at practice on Sunday, should be available for next Saturday. And uh, <laughs> you got Knox Kadem there that I guess could potentially start. And Fuente even mentioned James Mitchell as the emergency quarterback in, in case there was a bigger issue. Wow. Well, Trey Turner, it was even funnier. I went back and watched the game today, and he was he was one of the key players of the game before it started. They always show the, I saw that. They always show the- <laughs> The headshots, and I'm like, I'm like, this can't get any worse. And it wasn't like we were working with the B League crew here. You got ABC in primetime. You think that they would uh, have their stuff straight before the game starts? I know, but we, I mean, I tweeted out something today. Like, has anyone heard anything about Trey Turner? I'm not deep in the message boards on two four seven or anything like that. And maybe those people know, but like, have you heard anything about Trey Turner? No, like. All these other guys we've talked about missing games, not playing. Fuente will mention them. There has not been a peep before or after the game, as far as I could tell. I, I haven't heard anything. So it was. And since I tweeted it out, people got back to me and said he's got like a hip issue. And so he probably won't play much, if at all, against UVA. So that will be a blow. We should have Christian Darisaw. He limped off, but it sounds like he's going to be good to go. And Fuente also said that Nestor should be back as well next week. So those. Those are two nice additions to have back for UVA. The next thing I had was Khalil Herbert and Divine Diablo were accepted to the Senior Bowl, which is pretty cool. Probably means they're both headed to the NFL, I would assume. I would probably assume. I I think I'm so interested to see what happens with Khalil Herbert. His stats are still through the charts. And even in this game, he showed with that... With that upfront presence that Clemson has, that's just so dominant. He still found some holes. He still had a lot of good runs. Uh, I'm so interested to see what happens with him and whether he gets he gets drafted and and and, and what's going to happen with him uh, when we come to come to that time. I think both of them will get drafted. D- Divine probably later, maybe even seventh round. But he's got the body and he's shown enough ability that he should get drafted. Herbert, I think, could be a top three round guy. I mean, no, he's not going in the first round. As a running back, unless you're just like a complete stud who's who's a huge name, you're probably not going in the first round. But he could go second or third round. He is so good. And doing what he did against Clemson did not hurt his stock. Yeah, <laughs> it only helped. Exactly. Yeah. Just in general, in the NFL draft, running backs over the years have dropped. Just regardless of talent, they've all just kind of moved into third round territory even if you're a decent running back but we'll see i i I hope the best and i would imagine yeah means he's certainly moving on it's going to be fascinating to see who ends up leaving for the nfl from all the teams across the country because everyone's got a free year who will take advantage who won't and i think justice reed came out and said like this is my seventh year of college i'm done after this year <laughs> he just said that maybe yesterday like yeah. there's going to be a lot of guys like that that even if they could play more if they don't feel like they have an nfl future they're tired of going to practice like it, it's it's done for them and risking injury whether you're going to play in the nfl or not going to play in the nfl at some some point playing 7 years of football like that is going to take a toll on you yeah and but there will be guys who will literally play until you rip the jersey off them and and they'll take every extra year that they're provided. So I'm very curious to see which one of our players want to do that extra year as a senior. They're called doctors. (laughs) 
Uh, so tonight we're going to do our game recap. We're going to give all the Clemson reaction, but we're going to save our UVA preview. We're going to record that tomorrow with a guest and post it a day or two later. So keep an eye out for that tonight. You're just going to be getting our Clemson reaction and let's hop into the game recap. I never for a minute thought we were going to win this game before or during the game, but we did make it interesting for a while on the first drive. Hooker took a shot recovering his own fumble it might have affected him all night i'm not sure but his head and neck kind of got compressed and it wasn't a great start clemson got a big play from the tight end on the first drive but we were able to hold them to a field goal burmeister came in on the second series supposedly that was planned had nothing to do with the hit and he led us on a touchdown drive it was a great series of plays highlighted by the pass to a wide open tavion robinson and scored on the run by herbert It was the first time Trevor Lawrence had trailed all season. On Clemson's next drive, the sprinklers came on. And, of course, who was jumping it? (laughs) Yes, it was pretty. um, Dax is hopping through the sprinklers. And uh, I made a a comment on Twitter that I now regret, but it was funny at the time. So (laughs) (laughs) That didn't help us, though. Clemson went right down the field, and Lawrence ran it in for the touchdown. It was 10-7 Clemson. We had a decent drive going mid-second quarter until Hoffman committed the personal foul. That put us at third and 24, pushed us out of field goal range, and killed all the momentum. Then Chapman dropped a clear interception on the next drive. That was brutal, but we did force a punt. Clemson eventually got it back before the half and scored on seven plays, quickly going 75 yards to make it 17-10. to So it's 55 seconds left in the first half. We have all three timeouts, and we run the ball and then just let the clock tick away don't take any timeouts nothing then we do a long run and herbert went out of bounds with three seconds left and we're kind of in field goal range but not quite so fuente decides to try the hail mary that was complete off the hands of a clemson player but one yard short of the end zone was blackshear yeah there's a there's a lot to unpack on that one, so we might want to we might want to punt. Yeah, that. we'll do that a little bit later. But I just wish he had like outstretched the ball. I, I think he was surprised that he caught it because it went yeah. off the Clemson player into his hands. You have to imagine how hard it would be to think of. Not only did it go off of somebody, then you caught it, then you have to try and stretch out and and get the touchdown. That's that's tough. Yeah, I, it was more that I just hoped he would have but not that i would have necessarily thought to do it in that same situation so it's 17 to 10 at the half and we didn't score again for the rest of the game we traded punts before clemson got in the red zone and diablo made a great play and intercepted lawrence uh, in the end zone actually and unfortunately we fumbled on the next drive that was braxton burmeister that fumbled and clemson punched it right in to make it 24 to 10 soon after that hooker came back in the game because burmeister went out with an injury Instant fumble, scoop and score, and the route was on for Clemson. They added two more touchdowns, and they won 45-10. to My story of the game was that we were simply outmatched, and we were far from perfect, and you need to be perfect to beat Clemson. Yeah, I think that's right. We, we were far from perfect, and we shot ourselves in the foot a few times that really are, are unfortunate. We laid the ball down a few times. We didn't take advantage of that great interception. We also didn't take advantage of a potential to score at the end of the first half. There were just a lot of things that, that went wrong and you have to, you have to be perfect uh, in a game like that. I will say Trevor Lawrence only had one touchdown and one inner and an interception that he only had 196 yards. I know that's still a lot, but in comparison to what Trevor Lawrence has done this year, it's, it was, 12 for 22, it was way below the stat line that he's been putting up for a while. Absolutely. We held him and Travis Etienne in check for the most part. You would take those stats any day of the week. It was his second worst performance of the season in both QBR and passer rating. And Etienne, he had like 67 yards total, less than four yards a touch for him. That is not normal. So our defense definitely deserves a lot of credit for at least the first 40 minutes of the game. <laughs> yeah. You have a scoop and score. That's seven points right there. You have an interception that was in the end zone, which was really well played. They were running all over the place in the first half. I thought the defense in the first half played very well and a lot more soundly than they have in a while. 
We did give up some long passes with just miscommunication or whatever happened and gave some some wide open looks to some Clemson players. But on the whole, I think the defense did about as well as we could have expected, thinking they let up 38 points, right? If, if the scoop and score, you take that off the board, it was, it was 38 points that they gave up against a Clemson powerhouse team. So I, I don't... That's how many points we gave up against Liberty. So <laughs> think about that for a second. If your defense is giving up less than 40 points to Clemson, that's a win. <laughs> that's that's a really good win for the defense. Yep. No sacks, just four tackles for loss. And like you said, they did have some nice plays and stuff. But you, we have to give them credit because after Pitt, uh, I did not know how they would play in this game. And they gave me a little bit of hope going into the UVA game. The defense did. Let's talk about the offense because – the three turnovers and the penalties killed us in this game. We we kind of did have a shot, and if our coach had been a little bit more aggressive and we hadn't made a few too many mistakes, hell, maybe we would have been in the game in the fourth quarter. But as it was, we were just too sloppy. We were doing a few different things to try to stay in it. We were breaking the huddle really late. I think that was for two reasons. One, to kill the clock, and two – to prevent Clemson from stealing our signs, as everyone knows that they do. I applauded when I saw what they were doing on offense in terms of breaking the huddle late. It was a very smart move. It was eating the clock. I know we always joke around time of possession, but with a team like Clemson, it actually does matter. You want to keep the ball out of their hands on offense no matter what. And that's what we were doing. We were draining the clock really, really well. The... The fumbles were a little bit annoying, quite honestly. And I think overall, we could have kept it close, maybe, but we just we just made too many mistakes. And I think we could have been a, a team that scored, you know, 28 in this game and kept it somewhat respectable. It was odd to me, the whole hooker situation, well, let's get into that real quickly, that he didn't look right from the beginning, kind of dropping the ball. And then he only played seven snaps total, had two fumbles. And then the crazy convulsing and shivering that was going on uh, was something that everyone was talking about during and after the game. He supposedly couldn't get warm. That's what Fuente, how Fuente put it. And he went back in because Burmeister got hurt. Otherwise, I don't think he would have gone back in. I'm not a doctor, but that, <laughs> that convulsing thing, it looked very scary. And it, to me, it like... After reviewing it again, listening to stuff, hearing that he's okay on Sunday and he was feeling better, it looked like a combo of being cold and being stressed because it really started to hit after the scoop and score, like after he got nailed again and went out of the game and it almost looked like a panic reaction. Yeah, I would fully agree with, I think it was a panic reaction being cold. It sounds like since then they've confirmed that he was just the overall problem. He was really cold on, 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 on the sidelines and and in the game, hence the snaps that he, he was dropping, but uh, players were worried. And I don't know if we're ever going to get the true story of what ended up happening with him going back in the second time. Obviously he didn't seem equipped to play, but the wheels kind of fell off there and Burmeister was playing really, really well. Then we lost him. Then we had to move. And they even, I think Tatum played a pretty good game, all, all things considered, in in what I expected to be. I mean, that's a really he's a fourth string quarterback. It's a tough spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To to be a guy who was supposed to be at JMU as a redshirt freshman this year. I mean, we literally stole him from JMU the week of signing day. And he and he came to us. And I, I agree. I thought he played admirably for the position he was in. Four of six for sixty-eight yards passing and 24 yards rushing. Just the last note on, on Hennon Hooker. I, I don't know what it was, but I know, I do know from personal experience that anxiety is a real bitch, and it can pre- present physically in very strange ways. Yep. I don't know if that was it, but I wouldn't rule it out. And hopefully he's fine now, and it was just like a really strange night for him, and maybe the initial hit had something to do with everything that went on. But... Burmeister played okay, Kadem played okay, and hopefully somebody will be ready to go for UVA because if 
if we have one of our top two quarterbacks mm -hmm. for UVA, we will have a chance to win. I, I do believe that. I want to talk about the end of the half quickly. After the game, when Fuente was asked about it, he essentially said that they were worried about Clemson getting it back. <laughs> what did you think about that commentary? That uh, There was nothing to lose in this game other than maybe getting embarrassed by Clemson, but we didn't get embarrassed, but we sort of did anyway. It's still a 38-10 game. You knew Clemson was going to make a just... 45. Sorry, 45. Yeah. <laughs> I, the scoop and score, I'm still not uh, really done with it. <laughs> no, yeah, I First you. of all, I'm, uh, I'm not acknowledging that as as what was you know an indictment on the team overall. It was just a bad fumble at a bad time. But there was no reason to... Yes, Clemson could have got the ball back, but... How scared can you possibly play in a game that you're expected to absolutely get demolished in with a team that really needs some motivation going into a UVA game that's important? It does not send the right signal to the team. And the funniest part of it is I bet he was not banking on Herbert making that long run that he did, which made it look even more foolish after oh absolutely that's, that's really what i think set people off even more which was after saying you know we're going to not take our timeouts because they have three timeouts and they may get the ball back and then herbert was like screw that i'm still going to try and go for a touchdown here the team had to pick up their coach in that particular instance and try and score a touchdown on their own which is absolutely insane to me that yeah. they have more confidence in their own ability than you have in their ability. Listen, it's, it's total butterfly effect. Maybe that long run doesn't happen if we decide to really use our timeouts and go for it. But that doesn't change the fact that it was a loser's mentality to not use your timeouts with 55 seconds left against a national championship caliber team with nothing to lose. There is nothing to lose. There's a 95% a chance you're going to lose the game anyway. So what the hell are you worried about giving up an extra possession to Clemson? Try to score a freaking touchdown. You got a minute left in three timeouts. He, I don't know what happened to him that made him this way. It, the lack of aggression in the right moment, moments is, it's mind boggling. Like he's so in his head about this type of shit and it affects the whole team. Like they're they're too worried about turning it over that sometimes that makes you turn it over more. And the defense was playing pretty well in the first half. So you're showing even less conviction in the fact that the defense was came out and played pretty well and was holding Clemson to 17 points in the first half. I don't know what the yardage was, but it, it was a low output first half for that Clemson yeah. team and they're playing well and you showed no confidence in them whatsoever. It was so frustrating. And then to go into the press conference and again double down on what yeah. everybody in the room knows was the wrong decision and to say I would do it again is so <laughs> foolish and just so stubborn and idiotic. that He's so stubborn, man. His mentality is, is someone who's lost before he steps on the field. He has completely lost the edge that he had at, at Memphis. Like, I don't know what happened to this guy, but it is, it's really kind of sad to see. We didn't score after halftime. Our first four drives of the second half were nine plays for a negative 11 yards. So this is, again, two games in a row where we don't score in the second half. We got two games in a row where we lose by 30-plus, and we don't make the adjustments. The other team does, and it's... It's just such a poorly coached team at this point. It, it really is. And, and, it, and it's also, I'm sure, difficult for the coaches to do their job when the, the pressure, they're feeling this pressure, no doubt yeah. about it. Like, I don't know how you could recruit right now. I don't know how you can do anything because the team is floundering. We've lost four in a row. It, it's a tough position for them, but man, they got to be better. Yeah, it is a tough position for them, but... The last thing that you can do is just mail it in. And to your point, and you and I have talked about this in the past where remember the Georgia Tech games where Fuente would be in his own head and yep. you'd be worried about possessions, possessions. possessions and those sorts of things. There's just times and now they're becoming more frequent frequent 
where he's seeing ghosts. Even when they don't exist, he's just seeing ghosts on... That's a good way to put it. It's crazy. He's hearing footsteps and there's nobody There's nobody about to sack him. A couple good things before we do our ad and have our beer break. Herbert, 96 yards on 21 carries and a touchdown. He went over 1,000 on the season. That's so awesome in a shortened season coming in as a transfer to do that. And he could be one of our best backs. He, he's probably going to set the average yard per rush record for Virginia Tech for a season. So that, that tells you something how special this season has been. Changa Hodge got his first receptions of the season, two for 14 yards. And that was something I, I was angry about all years. Why weren't we seeing more of him? I guess with Trey out now, he has to be on the field. So we'll see what happens against UVA, but I, I'm happy for those guys. And I'm happy for Blackshear too, because he had a nice little game. Four receptions for 68 yards. Robinson with 53 on on three. Uh, we we're I don't know if we're developing or changing, but it's nice to see a little bit of a change. Nice to see Blackshear getting a little bit more receptions in the passing game than using him in the running game. Yeah, there's one other thing I'll bring up, which came out when I had to go back and do all the pass stats for this game, which was really interesting. All of our passes were either behind the line of scrimmage or beyond. Uh, no, we had not one single pass that was between 10 and 19 yards. The middle of the field was completely shut off in this game. And if you really think back, a lot of our successful pass plays were all downfield. Like, And then everything else was a screen pass and those sorts of things. And I think that was twofold because if you look at back at the stats, I was looking and I was expecting to see more sacks on the quarterback. There weren't, but there were 12 tackles for a loss in this game which was through the roof in, in terms That's of what we've, we've put up. So the quarterbacks threw from outside the pocket, both behind and to the sides more than any other game by far this year, people were scrambling and that's, that's a really good aggressive defensive line. And they showed what we, we can't do, which is consistently have a, a medium to long downrange threat in the past game that we can be consistent with. No. And we don't do well that, that 10 to 19, like we don't do the 10 yard slant. Like that just like does not exist in, in our offense uh, for better or for worse. And, and most likely it's worse, but <laughs> what they were doing in this game, I guess was trying to keep the pocket moving and not, not leave him like a sitting duck back there for the Clemson yep. defensive line, which was probably the right yep. move. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. The holidays are here. It is, gosh, Christmas is, what, like two weeks away? It's coming up fast. And uh, for all your beer and wine needs, make sure you head to Downtown Crown in Gaithersburg or Dominion in Falls Church. They are the two best beer stores in the area. Both Robbie and I love them. And in fact, the beer I'm drinking, and I'll talk about in a few minutes here, is from Dominion. It's an Aslan beer, and it is, it's awesome. But they've got the curbside pickup. They've got online ordering. They'll take care of you. Whatever you need, they'll take care of you. They'll help you find what might suit your, your mother or your sister or a different family member that you're trying to buy a gift for. You tell them what they like, and they'll steer you in the right direction. For right now, Robbie, tell me what you're drinking. So my wife for our anniversary, which was a little while ago, but I've been holding on to these for a bit. It got me a 12-pack of Clown Shoes beers. They're 12 cans. I think they're all different because it's the 12 Days of Christmas theme. So each one is different. This is the first one I have broken out. It's called the... Most people, I think, know Clown Shoes. So uh, it's a pretty well-known brewery. They make a lot of good IPAs. But this is actually... Uh, called the Chocolate Sombrero. It's a Mexican-style chocolate stout, and Ooh. it is really good. Ale brewed with natural flavors. It's um, it's a it's a really good stout. I haven't had a lot of dark stuff and dark beers from them. It's seven percent alcohol, so it's not too heavy. I don't think I've ever had a dark beer from Clown Shoes. Are they out of New York? Is that where yeah, they're from? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite certain. And of it. does that um. 
does it have any like spicy is it like a spicy chocolate or is it just like no like because sometimes you get that mexican yeah <laughs> that mexican <laughs> chocolate flavor or whatever there's not there's not much spice to it but it, it's a nice flavor profile it's actually really good and it's not too chocolatey it's not overpowering it's still got enough of that good. stout and it doesn't have too much alcohol infused in it so it gives you a nice nice flavor profile I really like it. It's a good beer, fun artwork on the can, like all of Cl- all of oh, Clown yeah. Shoes beers. They do like really fun stuff on the artwork, and and this one's no different. So, Clown Shoes, great brewery, and uh, a really good beer. Chocolate Sombrero. How about you? Great name too. I am having the Aslan Beer Company Sorbet. This is an IPA brewed with peach and mango. Cloudy, hazy IPA. I showed Robbie my glass right after I poured it, and it is—it's a thick-looking beer, but it tastes amazing. It's a little bit more—I guess it's a little bit more bitter than the average hazy. Six point five percent alcohol, so it's—it's it's pretty smooth, but just a little bit of bitterness and none of that overly sweet stuff that can be a little hard to take down. And some of the tired hands, or even some of the other. Uh, New England hazies that put that lactose in there. It can be very heavy. This one drinks lighter, the sorbet. The, the peach and mango really come through too. And the, the smell, you pour it in the glass, the smell is so good. It, it almost smells better than it tastes. But yeah, I, lo- I like this beer a lot. Aslan, I mean, you can't go wrong. I'll double back and correct something which I probably should have known because I've had them on the podcast. I think only twice before though. Uh, Clown Shoes is actually Boston Mass. So where I was born, oh, okay. where I was born, so I should probably know that. But uh, you know, that's that's where it's from. All right, I had a few random things from the game. The commentary right at the end of the first half. <laughs> Did I'm sure most people who are watching the game heard the "fu" asshole that yeah. came through on uh, on the TV, and that was just hilarious and instantly like went viral on Twitter. Some some very angry lady in the stands uh came basically had herb street's headset and, and yelled that in there it was so good it really was the ian book interview in the middle of the game that was a little annoying to most hokey fans i mean it was taking up like over a third of the screen yeah and and i'll, I'll get back to the broader point on that but when i was trying to do my past stats like I have to look at where the yardage is, at where they're throwing from, where they're catching from, all of those sorts of things. It made it extremely difficult because half the screen had his big head on there, and that was awesome. But I will say that a lot of the national podcasts that I listened to in the past couple of days that have come out came out and were they weren't mad about it, but they were all of them said, I've never seen anything like that. It's completely out. Really? It's completely okay. outrageous that it was actually happening during the game. So it's not just VT fans that were mad about it. I think a lot of people were because it was so disingenuous. And a lot of people brought up when they were doing it, it was still a football game. I think they probably expected at that point for it to be a complete blowout. And that's why they had Ian book on there for whatever reason to add some commentary, which then fine, don't put it on ABC and don't put it in primetime if you guys are going to just use it for some other medium to get people on there and pump up the playoff and all of those sorts of things. It was so distracting and so annoying, and I almost would have rathered it, and I don't even know if they could do this, if Ian Book was actually commenting on the game and what was happening in the game. I might have actually respected that, but it wasn't. They were talking about who do you think the top four teams are and all this stupid stuff, especially when Notre Dame, you could have at least made his head small. Yes. Like it was such a big part of the screen. I'm looking at the screen grab right now. It was 24 to 10. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not super close, but it it is a game. Like it wasn't a blowout yet. It it was annoying. And everyone was like, it was like the Zion camp. Yes. Like when they used to put the camera on Zion during the game and he's like sitting on the bench, but they still have the Zion cam on. Oh my gosh. It, that was so really bad. But I, I hadn't heard the thing about the national guys slamming it though. And that makes me feel better. Yep. Hooker has 120 carries on the season, 120 rush attempts, including his sacks. That is tied for third in FBS for carries as a quarterback. And he's only played about six and a half, seven games. 40% of his snaps are running plays. 
That is the most of any quarterback with over 100 carries except for the Georgia Southern QB, which they obviously run a triple, triple option. option. So we're basically, when Hooker's in the game, we are essentially a triple option team. And honestly, when Burmeister or Quincy's in the game, it was the same thing. I mean, we, we've run it basically 40% of the time with our quarterback. It's, it's crazy. When we have such a good running back that we could utilize, I, I don't know why. I, th- these are just little things to, to we're piling on. To, but, like, why are we basically, with a four-star quarterback in Hooker and a four-star quarterback, they don't rate these guys as four-stars for being runners. Yeah, or if they do, it's because they're a dual threat. And we are certainly, we are, take one look, and if it's not there, run basically even on pass plays and right and and i should rephrase that you're right they rate them on if it's a dual threat but there, there's a duel to yes, that threat. exactly <laughs> and we have very much not been I, I, and it comes back i thought burmeister threw the ball really well downfield honestly some of those passes he was eight of eight to start it, yeah he went i was doing the stats yeah i kept going when does his first incompletion actually happen because he ended up what 10 for 12 or whatever it was in yeah the game. 10 of 12 so he threw the ball really well downfield. And I honestly believe with how long Hooker's been in the program, he's got a pretty good arm. I think he should be that good of a thrower too in in, in the game. And he's honestly regressed. No, and, yeah, he looked better last year at throwing the ball. And that can't just be because of Hazleton and Keen. No. Like it, it can't be. Like we've got decent options and all the guys here are a year older. It's very frustrating. Let's move to Fuente's Monday comments. The first one is kind of a silly one. He was asked uh, about pro football focus rankings, and he said, what's pro football focus, more or less? And I'm not sure if he was trolling or joking. It didn't seem like it, and it was strange. In any other (laughs) year, like that would gloss past everybody but the fact that he's had so many offensive linemen get rated so highly by pro football focus and that and herbert like pete was tweeting about herbert on pff today yes our own like our own vt football account which we all have things and thoughts about that but the fact is is that they're putting out stuff about pro football focus all the time and them and how highly rated the offensive line has been it's the number four offensive line in the country, all of these things, plus Herbert. And then the, then people took it a step further, which I thought was, okay, the whole, does he pay attention to statistics? Does he pay attention to advanced stats? So that's what it led everybody to believe. And if the season had not been playing out the way that it had in terms of him making confusing decisions that go against what advanced stats say, I think it would have, everybody would let it slide, but it's just so much at this point, all we can do is laugh at ourselves. It's so much funnier because of the decisions that have been yeah. made that go against what advanced stats would tell you to do. It's just another layer. I, I, I Billy Ray Mitchell from Sons of Saturday put out a video saying, like, this isn't a big deal. Like, who cares about pro football focus? And his message was understood, but I still felt like I'm I'm not like particularly mad about it. It's just so freaking silly to to say that when your own account is constantly tweeting about it. But Foster like retweeted that stuff, replied to those tweets. Like, this isn't <laughs> this isn't some no-name company, like. 70 to 80 FBS programs like use pro football focus. And I think we might be one of yes. them. I think we might be one of their clients. Yes. So it's just bizarre. It's, it's truly bizarre. Uh, and then the next thing he said, which I thought was actually a little bit more interesting was I don't want the guys to play for me. I want them to play for each other. And I wonder if that was just the slightest inkling of him knowing he won't be around next year. Yeah. I, I did that one. I didn't actually have as much heartburn. I, I read it a few times and I, I got most people's points and I saw your point on it as well. A lot of people freaked out about that. That one for me wasn't as big of a deal. It could be alluding to what you're saying. I think it's also 
just him alluding to the fact that regardless of how this plays out, whatever happens on December 16th or otherwise, he honestly does care about the players. I think that's what he was trying to get across. I think everybody says coaches use these press conferences and everybody says this as a way to speak to their players because they're saying it on a public medium that they can read again, they can see, they can look up. I think if however this season ends up and whatever happens after this season wraps, I think that's a way of him kind of sending a signal in my mind that I really do care about you guys, regardless of how this whole thing played out. Because you can say a lot of things about Fuente. I don't think there's many people out there that say he doesn't care about the players and he doesn't want them to to do well. And he's probably just hedging his bets for her, regardless of how the season goes. He wants to make sure the message out there that he really cares about them. And I think he probably does. It just doesn't mean that he's the right person necessarily. Yeah. And reading through all of his, people have been like looking forward to the post game pressers and the Monday pressers because they've been fun to pick apart, but that's what we're doing right now. Like that's what the VT fans who are upset and wish we were playing better are going to do. And you, you get to a point where you're like, okay, we're kind of picking this apart. Like I couldn't feel better about where we're going and where we're headed. Like he said that. And like, we know it's not headed well. Like we all know that, but like, what's he gonna say? Like he it's coach speak and, and that's fine. And it's, objectively untrue you can't be happy about where we're at it and going see that one actually made me more mad and other people not as mad because everybody had that same thought. i just brushed it off as coach yeah everybody had that same thought is like what are you going to say well there are coaches out there that admit this is not up to the standards that we need to play to this is not acceptable this is and he and, right. and he's Fuente's done this in the past where he says this is on me. So he's he's taken ownership at times. So I'm not saying that he never takes ownership, but there is there would be no hard feelings whatsoever, especially given where the state of the program is and the state of the fan base to just come out and say this was you know completely unacceptable. Like we it's it's my fault. It's the coach's fault. We didn't play up to the standard. We didn't teach the guys though that we should. So there are things that you can say to take ownership in that particular instance. But that quote actually, I think, speaks more to what might be happening right now or what he thinks might be happening in 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 the career at Virginia Tech than, than the previous one. And it's also one of his go-tos because if you'll notice, you've heard I like where we're headed and where we're going in our intro. Like that quote from him is in our intro from like three years ago. It's it's just one of his throwaway phrases. So that's another reason why it's like, no, it, you can't possibly be happy with that. And you probably should come up with something else to say, but it's just one of his throwaway phrases. Yes, I would agree. All right. I think that's just about everything I had. Uh, since we're not doing UVA and we're not doing picks tonight, um, I think that's going to do it for the podcast. Did you have any final thoughts on on coaching search or anything like that? I mean, we're going to get into a little bit of that tomorrow, some some uh, general questions for our guest. But a lot of people out there are talking about Luke Fickle. They're talking about Tony Elliott. Uh, Huff from Alabama, the running backs coach, who's one of the best recruiters in the country, has come up. Will Healy. Like, There's been all kinds of names thrown out there. It, this is impossible to handicap right now. No, it, it really is. It is. I, I, I'm under. Everybody's allowed to have their own opinion. Everybody has their own kind of information. What they, I'm on. I'm of the perspective, and I think somebody that I believe in and trust in is Godfrey, and he said it's going to happen. It's, and I think he's still doing a lot of his research and digging in the program boosters and his inside sources, but. I, I think we're going to end up moving on here. Uh, that's just my opinion. Everybody can have their own. And some people say the buyout's too big or it isn't. We'll talk about the UVA game and what that the results of that could mean. But if that does not go our way, and if it goes our way in something that doesn't look good, then I, I, I'm even more reinforced, reinforced in my belief that way. Yeah, and I don't think the UVA result even matters for him. I, I, I'm with you that... My opinion is that he will be gone, and I'm not going to talk myself in circles over it. Witt's a smart guy. 
the fan base is completely lost. I mean, it is it is 96% lost, I'll, I'll estimate. Um, and if, if we have a lame duck coach coming back next year, that's not going to be good for the finances. And so you're, you, you've actually talked to me a lot about this and, and affording it and everything like that. And they can afford it. It's a question of the board. It's a question of the president, all that kind of stuff, getting that agreement. But I think we're going to get there. Uh, that that's my, and I would keep an eye on what happens interestingly with COVID and the vaccine, because you could almost afford to have a lame duck coach next year if you can't have fans in the stands. But I don't mean to tie pandemic into this whole thing, but it's actually pretty important that if it's starting to look like we can get a vaccine and everything in place for fans to be back in the stands next year, I'm not saying that we will. I'm just saying if it started to trend that way, then that's having a lame duck coach is not a good thing for that. That's not going to work. You need the excitement built up. Yeah, for sure. Okay, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, 2DVT at gmail.com if you want to send us any questions or comments. And if you have any things you want to talk about with regard to the UVA game, then tell us because we'll talk about it uh, tomorrow when we when we uh, get on tomorrow evening. So it's 2DVT on Instagram. Make sure to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, rate and review us as well. We've got a lot of ratings on there. And I... We just got another recent review that was really nice. Um, I, I can't remember who it was from, but it's the most recent one on there, and we appreciate it. And until next time, when we're talking the Commonwealth Cup, go Hokies. Go Hokies.